So welcome everyone to this week's edition of the Commercial Real Estate 101 Meetup Group. Uh, for those of you guys who are tuning in for the first time, we actually do this uh, every other week where we invite speakers who talk about a variety of different topics pertaining to commercial real estate. And today we have the honor of having Myra Sheen. She's a friend of mine locally, also a, a financial planner, CPA, really just a rock star uh, in the local area here in Louisville, Kentucky. And we're really excited to kind of dive in to some stra some financial strategies regarding people that are in the commercial real estate space. And so we'll be talking on, you know, people who are in the brokerage space, which I know is a big uh, contingent of our, uh, our pop, our, uh, our listeners, but we'll also be touching on people, other, other verticals within the space as well. So Myra, thanks again for agreeing to do this. We really do appreciate it. Oh, thank you. It's a privilege to be on here and the opportunity. Absolutely. And and so before we dive in, I want to preface all this discussion by saying this is all informational. Uh, again, you know, everyone has a unique financial standing and unique financial situation. So, uh, you know, don't take this as individual advice for you. Uh, if you really want to have more of a refined, uh, you know, advice, I would highly encourage you to meet with either Myra or some other financial advisor to kind of analyze your unique situation to ensure that you uh, that you get the best advice for your unique situation. So I appreciate before we, we start because you got you got to make sure people understand that. Uh, but but we do appreciate it. So Myra, uh, one mm -hmm. thing I would love you to do is if you could share a little bit about yourself. I think that'd be great. Yes. Um, so my name is Myra Sheen. Um, I just got married in December, so it will be Myra Ryan. Um, very soon, um, but I'm a certified financial planner and CPA. Um, I work at Align Wealth Management here in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I have over 13 years of tax experience and over five years experience as a licensed financial advisor. I work with a large team. We have a total of 18 financial advisors and of the 18 advisors, nine of us are CFPs and two of us are CPAs. Um, and I wanna brag a little bit on my um, CEO, Drew Watson in, um, at my firm. He has uh, repeatedly been chosen for the Barron's top 1200 financial advisors and um, been voted Forbes best in state wealth advisors. Um, so, and first I wanna talk about, I get a lot of questions of why did you choose to go from taxes, working as a CPA to financial planning? Um, so I made that decision um, because being a financial planner um, allows me to align my interests and build closer relationships with my clients. So as a financial planner, I have the opportunity to provide holistic advice and guidance to my clients, helping them make informed decisions about their finances. That's awesome. Yeah. And you did mention that because obviously when, when we first met and to give you some context, it's been about a year and change now since we've known each other, which is kind of crazy, kind of crazy to think. Uh, but, but you did come from that CPA background and then got into financial planning, which is also provides unique context as far as, you know, how, how do you do things in a, in a very tax advantage way? And you understand that, you know, from, from a tax standpoint and the implications of something like that, depending on what your unique situation is. So definitely do appreciate, you know, your, your, your expertise in that front. So one thing I'm kind of curious about is, you know, obviously a big contingent of our listeners uh, operate in the brokerage space in, in commercial real estate. So, you know, we're independent contractors, you know, we kind of work for ourselves. We don't really have a salary um, and we're kind of our own mini CEO, as they say. So a lot of times, you know, it, you know, I, I, I describe it as, you know, you get in the transaction treadmill where you're, 
you know, starting out in your career, you're probably not making a whole lot of money. I know my first year I made like 15,000. If it weren't for my draw, I would have made $15,000. So not a whole lot to really live off, but you know, from when you start gaining a little bit of traction, you're still early in your career and trying to think about ways to be able to really make sure that you set yourself up for the future. You know, what are some of the ways that you would, you, you would kind of talk to a person in that position? Yeah. Um, so for young professionals, young independent contractors, um, there's a lot of advice I could give. Um, and I know we're limited on time. So if we have time, I can elaborate more. But the biggest things that I think I would want the viewers to get from this podcast is um, the, the best method to save and invest for the future um, is to set up monthly automatic contributions to um, a Roth IRA or after-tax investments. Um, there's a lot of benefits to that. Um, it gives you flexibility. Um, you're building your net worth without even thinking about it. So, and I know that income fluctuates. So, you know, commission-based. So what you have to do is, even if it's a small amount, even if it's $150 or $200, start getting the habit of putting something in because anything is better than nothing. And then um, you're building the net worth in the right places and diversifying your assets. So that would probably be the biggest thing for young independent contractors. Um, and another thing I want to touch base, because I'm a CPA, is um, 1099 people, you're no longer an employee if, if you're not a S-Corp and you pay yourself wages. So it's very important to pay quarterly estimates. Um, and people are like, oh, I'll just wait till I file my taxes, but there's penalties. So to avoid underpayment penalties, make quarterly estimated tax payments and make sure you work with the tax professional to make sure you have a system in place to know how much. And so you can plan for that. Um, so the biggest things is start a retirement plan, preferably a Roth or an after tax type of account start small, you know, create your budget, get up, you know, pay yourself X amount. So, and, and don't live above your means. I think it's very important being on commission that you have to, to budget and pay yourself a fixed amount. And then any extras, then that's something you can decide what to do with the extras. 100%. No, that, that's that's some great advice. And, and I think, like you said, even if it's a little bit every month, uh, setting aside something, because I, you know, I, you know, I fall victim to this, too, is like, you look at your bank account, it's like, oh, that's how much money I have. But in reality, you know, you got to factor in taxes, you got to factor in all these other things. And so removing it, removing some of the money from that account and, and putting it away somewhere where you don't have to look at it, I think it's, it's psychologically, it's like, oh, okay, well, this is what I have to work with, even though it's not, you know, you've got something already over on the other side. And I can speak to the tax side of things. I mean, luckily, I've been I've been pretty diligent about paying my quarterly taxes, because I've had friends out there that wait until the last minute. And then, you know, come April 15th, it's like, oh, I got a 10,000 or $20,000 tax bill, they got to pay all at once. And, you know, if you haven't planned out for that, that could be pretty, pretty rough. So Especially if you're newer to the, yeah. to the business, it's a big surprise. And then you don't want to get behind, you know, there's mm -hmm. payment plans, but you don't want to get behind because the interest and, um, but there is a rule of thumb. So if people, you know, I usually say, you know, if you get a thousand dollars in revenue, rule of thumb, hold back 30, 40% for taxes. Mm -hmm. um, so 
if you're brand new to the business, you know, work on, you know, figuring out what structure, have a separate business account um, because it, you don't want to um, mix that with your personal because then that could be a big miss, a high risk to be audited. So you want to keep everything separate. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's easier to, to manage. It's easier to identify, um, easier to, to handle, especially from the tax side. Oh, yeah. and, I've, and I've talked about a Roth, but I just want to make sure. So I've, I get a lot of questions. What's a Roth versus a traditional IRA? There's Roth IRA, traditional IRA. So the big, they're pretty much the same thing. They're both retirement accounts. The only difference is the way it's taxed. So traditional IRA, you're going to get the pre-tax deduction, you know, if you're eligible. And then on the Roth, you don't, you don't get that pre-tax on the front end. Um, but the, the, why I love Roths is it grows, they both grow tax deferred, but when you take the money out, it's all tax-free from a Roth. So for young professionals, putting that money in now, having all that time to grow tax-free, and then when the money comes out tax-free, it provides such a good retirement plan for your future um, and all the compounding interest. Right now, the market is down. Great opportunity to start investing. So, um, you know, it, it's for the long term. So for retirement, you know, to, to not get penalized, that age is 59 and a half. So people are like, well, when do I retire? 59 and a half is the age where you can pull money out of a retirement account and not pay any penalties. There are some exceptions, but um, 59 and a half is what you're looking at considered retirement age. Definitely. No, I appreciate that. And it's important to know because, you know, obviously we're in the real estate space. And so, you know, I know a lot of people on the call and probably listening are also interested in investing in real estate, which is a great vehicle for, to build wealth. But it's also good to kind of think about ways to diversify and and make sure that, you know, you have those opportunities and not to say you can't sell you some of those funds down the line to potentially do other things as well. So um, like yeah. you had mentioned. So one thing I'm curious about is, you know, we, we also, you know, kind of going up the 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 train uh, the the chain as far as people who listen to the podcast now we have we're going into the more established professional you know maybe you're 10 years or 15 years in your career and now you're starting to make pretty significant money if you if you do perform at a high level for for quite a period of time and so uh, because of that tax implications are are in play like you have pretty significant tax implications are there ways outside of some of the ones that you maybe shared or maybe with the, some of the ones you shared and, and in addition to that that could potentially be beneficial to those individuals yes so with um as the professional grows i think it's very important to um, not only consider your retirement but taxes so normally as you grow and you get more income it's important to look at the way you're structured so very common um once your income exceeds a number, um, it's, there's an option to form an S-corp. So that's where you can save money on that, on employment taxes. So the way an S-corp works is, um, it's still a pass-through entity. You know, you file a separate tax return, you'll get a K-1. So it'll flow to, flow through to you on your personal return, but you would pay yourself wages. So whatever you pay yourself wages, that would be subject to self-employment tax. 
So anything above that earnings, you can take a draw, but it's only going to be subject to federal and state tax, not self, not Social Security, Medicare. So that is the um, really beneficial of an S corp. The main reason um, is the self-employment tax savings. But if your income, you ha have to wait for your income to increase because you have to factor in the cost of an S corp tax return, the cost of paying wages, payroll. There's a lot of filings. It's it's kind of a pain. And if you try to do it yourself, I've seen it happen. People make mistakes. They forget to file. And then there's all these hefty penalties and it's a big mess. So you don't want to get behind. So I'd highly recommend hiring a payroll service or um, account CPA firm to handle that for you. But that's one thing as you grow to think about forming an S-Corp. Um, but also from a retirement, people who, there's simple strategies. So I'll start with the simple strategies. So it's all based on what you're trying to achieve. So if, the big thing I would think is you want to save for retirement. So when you do that, you're going to save in tax and provide you retirement income. So a lot of the basic retirement plans out there are simple IRAs, SEP IRAs, um, and 401k plans. So I'll start with the simple. So if someone doesn't have the funds or they don't want to max maximize their retirement, a simple IRA would allow you to contribute and there is a max. So this year, a simple IRA max is 15,500. If you're over age 50, it's 19,000. So as an employer, if you have employees, um, there's a couple options. You would have to provide an empl um, employee match. Um, so the good thing about the simple is there's no, um, you don't have to file a 5,500. You, you don't have to pay an annual fee to maintain it. You don't have to get a TPA involved. So it's very simple. <laughs> simple IRA is simple, but, but it only allows you to put in a little bit. Um, so the next step up from a simple IRA um, is a SEP IRA. So SEP IRAs allow you to put in more. I believe the max is um, 66,000. So, but essentially whatever your net income, whatever your self-employment earnings, you're capped at about 25%. So if you make $100,000 that year, you can put in essentially $25,000. So it allows you to put in more than the simple, but you still have that cap based on your income. Um, but I don't normally see people do that who have employees, because if you contribute 25% to your SEP IRA, you have to do the same to your employees. So it's very costly. So normally I see that for individual business owners with no employees. Um, and, and now with the new Secure 2.0 Act, as of this year, they will be allowing simple and SEP IRAs to um, have a Roth component. So before you couldn't. So now you can have a Roth simple IRA and a Roth SEP IRA, which is going to be, you know, very advantageous um, and that's effective this year. That's awesome. So, 
So now we get to, okay, what about our super high income earners who want to maximize retirement and want to save on tax? So I'm talking, you know, three, 400,000 plus income earners. Um, they can look into doing a solo 401k plan. Um, and there's group plans too, but for the high income earners, solo 401k or a 401k plan for the group. And then you can, um, to augment that, you can do profit sharing contributions. And in addition to that, a cash balance plan, which is a defined benefit plan. So in my opinion, those are the best choices of a retirement plan for high income earners who want to maximize retirement and want to save for taxes. Now, these are really complicated. Um, so I highly encourage you to reach out to a professional such as myself or someone highly skilled in these areas. Um, or, you know, because they are so complex, I've seen people sometimes trying to do it themselves and, and they get it wrong. So, you know, based on your needs, you need to craft a creative strategy based on your needs. Um, so, and it, you know, plan the design around what your objectives are, you know, estate planning, tax reduction, tax positioning, you know, Roth 401k, and then a business transition. So, so there's not a one size fits all. Um, but I'm just trying to tell people there are options out there, you know, the cash balance plan, the max you can put in that is 265,000, um, a year, but there's, limitations based on age, compensation of what you're eligible to contribute, but those two options would allow you to really put back money and um, save for retirement. That's awesome. No, I appreciate the, the feedback and in particular about the, you know, the, 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 the corporate structure regarding S-Corp and everything else. I mean, I, I think that could be very beneficial, especially because, you know, when you first start out, I mean, for me, I was an LLC and I was just taking in all the income myself. And, you know, obviously, as you had mentioned, you're subject to self-employment tax and other other factors as well that, that maybe aren't as advantageous. And as I started to advance and now I'm in your almost year four, you know, now I'm established as a as an S corp and, you know, I pay myself as a wage and you don't necessarily have to pay yourself, you have to pay yourself a market wage. You don't have to pay yourself like a significant amount. And then you could take, you know, the draws that, that may not be subject to to the self-employment tax. So that's definitely beneficial. And then I appreciate that you're sharing the, the feedback regarding those different instruments, because, you know, I, you know, I, I'm not the most advanced when it comes to that sort of thing. And so I'm, I'm always thinking of ways to potentially, you know, make invest or save in some tax advantage way. So I appreciate the, the feedback on that front. And, and one thing that you kind of alluded to was the business owner and team. So we have, a, again, in the, in the brokerage career, the, the spec, the, the spectrum is you usually start out, you know, you're not making a whole lot of money. And as you start to advance in your career, you continue to grow and scale. And hopefully at some point you gain, you know, significant amount of income. And maybe at that point you also decide, Hey, instead of, you know, me just being a solo individual, maybe now I want to grow a team. So you bring junior brokers onto you. Maybe you have staff and admin and everything else there to support your business. So, you know, when it comes to that, you kind of alluded to some of it already, but I'm kind of curious as to, you know, what you've seen in the marketplace, as far as, you know, employers now providing opportunities to their teams uh, for, 
you know, investing yeah. properly. And, and there's obviously reasons for that. I mean, you, you, you get to support your teammates and potentially it's a good recruiting tool for you as well. Oh, for sure. Um, Cause a lot of employers want to take care of their employees because when you take care of your employees, those employees, um, it establishes loyalty. They will bend over backwards for you. It creates a good work environment, keeps them happy. Um, so all around, you're supporting them in their future and showing that you care about them. So instead of, you know, paying taxes on your income and it's going to taxes, putting money to the retirement, you're saving on taxes. So instead of paying it to the IRS, you're giving it to your employees. So very common um, is a 401k plan, a group 401k plan. And, and it's really um, an incentive right now is there's a lot of tax credits available. So the secure, um, the secure 2.0 act that came out this year, um, the IRS is saying, hey, for the next three years, we will pay the admin fee, 100% of any fees for three years and up to a $1,000 credit, you'll get a tax credit for every employee that you match, the employer match, we're gonna give you a credit up to $1,000 per employee um, for three years. So right now it's a great time to open a 401k plan because of all the tax credits available. Um, but in addition to that, um, you know, a 401k plan, I don't think I mentioned this before, but the limits on a 401k plan for 2023 is $22,500 that an employee can contribute. Now, in addition, now, if you're 50 or older, you could put in 30,000. Um, and there's different retirement plans, um, but the employer could potentially match if you do a safe harbor plan. Um, so that would provide even more money. So that's where the employer would do a match, tax deductible, and that would help um, the employee and it would help yourself. So, and then there's that profit sharing component. So you don't have to, um, just cause you elect to have a profit sharing, doesn't mean you have to every year, it's based on your profit. So at the end of the year, if you had a really good year, you can assess, does it make sense to do this profit sharing? And that's due when you file your taxes. So it's not due by 1231. So, um, so on the, on, on the profit sharing side, that, cause it's super intriguing. Cause obviously, you know, you yourself, if, if you're, if you're a team lead and you have, you know, brokers or agents under you, it, you know, is that something you see where, you know, I'm a, I'm a business owner. I have a, a lot of independent contractors. And at the end of the year, if we do, we do great, there's a profit sharing component to the independent contractors, or is it mainly for people who are on W2 employees? W2 employees full-time so there's you know there's okay. restrictions 21 years or older mm -hmm. um you have to work at least a thousand hours mm -hmm. um so so that does provide your employees a um a way to save sure. um, so but it it all depends on how you build the plan so it's very very important so when you get a t a third-party administrator tpa involved um, you have to design a plan, um, but you want to make sure you do it correctly because with all the new tax laws, you know, it's crucial, you know, to provide, provide yourself flexibility. Um, so you got to develop it and you got to factor in the design, make sure it provides tax diversification and that it meets your needs as a business owner. 
because there's different tax buckets. So there's the pre-tax bucket, there's the Roth bucket, and then there's the taxable. Um, and because different types of accounts and investments offer specific tax advantages, you can gain more control over your taxes by placing um, your investments in a variety of, of accounts. And taxation is just one consideration. So, you know, if, if your income one year is going to be really high, had a big windfall, you had a great year, you know, you're going to want to lean more towards the pre-tax option. But this year, it's really slow. Like if COVID happened, you may want to do a Roth, a Roth um, retirement account. So, you know, being able to have that flexibility. So it's not always we're, we're stuck with this. So you just want that flexibility. No, I appreciate that. So kind of taking it to the next step. I mean, we do have a lot of people who listen who are interested in real estate investing. Uh, development of real estate and other methods, you know, and and so one thing I'm curious about is, are there ways to utilize these tax advantage accounts or or really whatever other methods to do so in a tax advantage way? Yes. So one thing I want all the viewers to to get from this question is, um, there's when they are either buying or developing real estate, it's there's a lot of variables that go into that. I mean, you have to factor in the assets being bought or developed. So, um, so a big thing is cost segregation. I feel like a lot of tax preparers who are not experts in real estate, the rule of thumb, put 15% to land, um, 85% to the building. So as you know, from a tax land, you cannot depreciate. So you can't get that a deduction for the cost of land. A building, commercial buildings have a 39 year depreciation. So that's gonna take, so you buy a million dollar building, you can't fully expense it until after 39 years. So that's why it's so important to cost segregate your assets. So, um, so if you buy a building, it has cabinets, ceiling fans, um, appliances, driveways, you know, those all um, are eligible for bonus depreciation. Um, so you can, you know, last year bonus depreciation was 100%. So you could deduct the full cost of that that year. So in 2023, that drops down to 80%. Next year, it's going to drop to 60% until it goes to nothing. So, you know, segregating those assets, a driveway is a 15-year property. So you're able to accelerate that expense sooner by doing that. So it's very, very important to cost segregate. Um, there's experts out there for a large purchase. I'd recommend hiring an engineer to come in and do that. Um, sometimes, you know, a real estate CPA can do that. But um, I think that is a critical thing to think about. That not, I, I see a lot of um, CPAs who are, they don't specialize, they don't do that. And it ends up costing the taxpayer quite a bit in tax, or it's a missed opportunity. Yeah. And especially because if you're a, you're a real estate professional, as, as classified by the IRS, you can offset the income that you generate through your commissions and other things with the, the taxes that the, 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 the depreciation that you're taking from the building. If, if, if for some reason there's any, you know, 
Is that correct or am I incorrect? That no, that is correct. So good point. Um, so the I call it the small landlord um role. So if you make below a hundred thousand a year, your rental, if you have a loss, you can deduct up to twenty-five thousand dollars towards earned income. So any income. So if you have W-2 earnings or what else, whatever, that can reduce it. It starts to phase out between 100,000 and 150. So after you get over 150, you can't deduct it. So I had one time I had a tax client who bought all this real estate thinking he could deduct 100% of it. So you have to be aware that there is a limitation and the most you can deduct in that year is the 25,000, you know, as a, you know, if you have passive income. So if that's your intent to just make all this passive income, if you own real estate and get rent income, you can deduct a portion as long as your income is below that threshold. That makes sense. So, and, and one last thing before we move on to the next topic, which I'm very interested by, and I think it could be very beneficial for people is the, um, you know, purchasing property. It, 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 I guess, is there, is there a way to purchase property in some of these accounts that could be beneficial like, I don't know, with a SEP IRA, is it, is it only where you can invest in, you know, stocks um, or bonds or anything like that? You, you can invest in REITs, um, uh, real estate investment companies that um, pull capital from investors, um, and it may be publicly traded or not. So there are options to buy REITs if you want to invest in real estate, but um, you don't want to physically manage the property. Um, and I will say I'm not an expert in this, but there is something called a self-directed IRA. I just want to throw it out there. Um, again, I can't help you with that, but there is a thing that I think is common. Um, it does allow you to, um, and you can invest in anything, I think, except for collectibles and something else, but you can um, invest real estate crypto. Um, so real estate, so if you have a property, you could invest that in your self-directed IRA. So if you have a 401k rollover, but again, I'm not an expert. I can't mm -hmm. elaborate on that, but that is an option for people who are, you know, you know, there are specialists out there that can help with that. Um, Definitely. Well, I appreciate the feedback on that front. So one thing that I'm I'm really curious about, and we actually had almost done this ourselves. I, I had a client that was looking to kind of perform this particular uh, transaction. So let's say that, you know, you're representing a client and they want to sell their real estate and they don't want to do a 1031 exchange because they're tired of managing property and they just want to, you know, kind of ride off in the sunset and, and really benefit from that passive income. You know, what are some of the strategies that you've seen people take on that could benefit that end user. So, you know, we had, I think we had tried to do this earlier this year. And unfortunately it just didn't fit what my client wanted, but, but it could be a very good opportunity for a lot of people. So. Yes. So we have looked previously in a deferred sales trust. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to preface, this is highly specialized, highly skilled. Um, but we're just going to kind of touch the surface on it. So what that does, um, if you don't want to do a 1031 exchange, is you take the proceeds, um, you can defer the gain, um, invest it, and never pay any um, tax on it. So that's very um, 
I mean, that's, you know, in some cases that's very attractive to, you know, defer in that game, you know, no one wants to pay taxes. So, so it is a really good option to defer the gain, invest it and grow that asset. Um, and there are specialists out there because you have to have a, a very knowledgeable attorney. So you have to get an attorney involved, um, but that is an option that, but you, there are things to consider such as, you know, a big benefit of buying real estate and holding it until you die is your beneficiaries get that step up in basis. So if you bought a property for $30,000, 20 years later, you die and now it's worth 200,000, your beneficiaries, if they go turn right around and sell it for 200, they're gonna pay no income tax. They may have a loss because of the commission on it. So th there's a lot of strategies before, you know, when you die, you got to think of your, your beneficiaries. And that made me think of gifting. I see a lot of people who gift real estate. And I just want to say it's everyone's situation is different, but it's better to pass it through an inheritance when you die versus gifting. Because once you gift, they take over your basis. So if you bought 30000 for the property and you gifted that to your child, their basis is now 30,000. So if they turned right around and sold it for 200, they're gonna have 170,000 capital gain that they have to pay income tax on. So, so you gotta be aware and look at this, look at your goals. What are you trying to do? And sometimes it may make sense to gift it. Um, but normally from a tax standpoint, it's better to you know, inherit property and versus gifting. Um, but another thing also I wanted to touch base on that question um, is a Delaware statutory trust. So a Delaware statutory trust is um, for eligible investors. So you have to be accredited. What that means is you have to have income of at least 200,000 or with your spouse, 300,000, or you have to have a net worth over a million dollars. So if you are accredited and eligible, you don't want to do a 1031 exchange um, and you don't want to do um, actively managed property. So let's say someone's nearing retirement and they're like, hey, I don't want to pay the tax. I want to sell this property. I don't want to pay the tax on it. What can I do? Well, you can take the proceeds and invest into a REIT, so into a product that uses the 1031 code, um, but it doesn't involve actually buying the physical property. That is an option to save on tax. That's a Delaware statutory trust. So instead of buying a property or selling a property and buying a property, deferring the gain, you have to actually management, you can sell a property, use the proceeds to purchase a product and, and the good thing about that, you defer the gain, you retain the ability to receive consistent income and provide diversification. So yep. that's a very popular product out there. Um, highly skilled. I'm happy to talk to anyone who wants to dive deeper in that. And then there 
is another option, um, a qualified opportunity zone, a QUAS. Um, it allows you to defer capital gain. Normally it needs to be a large amount, I'd say over a hundred thousand plus to make it worth the fees. Um, but it does provide a tax incentive for economic development in distressed communities. So you can defer taxes on the gain from the sale of that asset. You have um, to invest it in a qualified opportunity zone within a hundred days. And you can defer the tax until all the, until 2026 tax year. Now, the beauty of that, you're like, well, I'm only deferring tax for, you know, three more years. What's so good about that? Well, any appreciation in that um, product, any appreciation, any gains, you can, it'll grow def tax deferred. And then if you hold it for at least 10 years, you'll never pay income tax on it. No tax on the appreciation. So, so you would pay income tax in 2026. So you get to defer it for a few years, but in 2026, pay the income tax on the original gain. But from there, any gain after that, as long as you hold it for 10 years, tax-free. Um, so, so that's also, um, very attractive for people um, who don't want to have to actively manage. They want to defer gain and not act, not have to physically manage a property. And then, you know, from a tax standpoint, you sell a property and then you you buy another property. You know, you may be able to offset some of that gain through cost segregation. So that's where a good um, tax expert would come into play. Absolutely. You no, know, I appreciate you sharing that because these are types of conversations that, you know, I'm starting to have more with, with sellers. Cause a lot of times, you know, when you're representing someone or trying to attempting, let's say they're, they're, you know, they're wanting to potentially sell their building or maybe they're not. And they just say, Hey, you know what? I, I don't really want to have to sell it because then I have to deal with potentially doing a 1031 exchange. And, you know, I then I have to, if I can't find a 1031 exchange property replacement property, I'm either going to have to buy something I don't want or have to forfeit the exchange, thus having to pay the taxes. So I'm just not really having, wanting to deal with that. Whereas now it's like, okay, well, here's a suite of opportunities that could potentially fit what you're looking for. It may not be, you know, exactly what you're looking for. And maybe it's not a good fit, but they're, but you're offering it up as an opportunity for someone, because again, everyone has their own unique situation. And maybe one of those options resonates with the seller. So if anything, you as a person, as a broker, for example, are providing a suite of options that potentially could win you business, you know? So it's like, that's the way I'd like to view it is because we're advisors, just like you're an advisor. So the, the more opportunities we can present, uh, you know, unique things for our clients to make better decisions for what they want to do ultimately is only going to benefit our business long-term. So. Exactly. Yeah. Just letting them, um, knowing what their options I think is most important. Like even cause I, I have clients all the time, they just want to know their options and then help guide and walk them through. What is your best option here? Lay it all out there. What is the best? And I did want to mention there's the traditional 1031. There is such a thing as a reverse 1031 where, where you buy it and then the proceeds go to an intermediary. And then in 45 days, um, you have to sell it, mm -hmm. a property. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, I'm not sure if a lot of people know about that, but I just want to make sure I put that out there. 
No, I appreciate that. Yeah. And that, that, that could be a super powerful way because then you, you can strategically buy the property that you actually want, as opposed to being under the gun, because that's the, that's the hardest part about 1031 exchanges. And and especially in this environment where there's really not a lot of inventory, you're almost forced to at the end because you identify three properties and it's like, okay, well, I got to close on one of these three properties. And, you know, God forbid you go through those those three properties. They're not, they're not a good fit. A lot of times you'll just see people pulling the trigger because they're like, I'm not have, I'm not having wanting to pay all this big tax bill. And then they have to live with the ramifications of making an investment that they may or may not have wanted to make. So right. Right now it's a lot easier to sell than it yeah. is to buy. So mm-hmm. yeah. And it's starting to shift now too. So you know maybe the inventory improves over time. But then again, then you're selling in an environment where there's more inventory. So it's always an ebb and flow in the in the, in the market. Right. So right. um but that's great. So what I'll go ahead and do is we'll open up to Q and A because we want to make sure that those who are listening, you know, here on Zoom or if you guys are watching this on LinkedIn, you guys have an opportunity to ask Myra questions. Again, you know, she won't be able to be getting granular as far as your unique situation on the webinar. But if you guys wanted to have a conversation with her offline and have her, you know, dive into your 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 whole you know back end and whatever else, then she'll be able to provide more refined uh, insights. But uh, if you guys have any questions, feel free to type away. And is there, in the meantime, is there anything that you wish that I would have asked or maybe that you find found to be, you know, potentially insightful for the audience that maybe I, you wish I would have asked? And if some people are trying to gather their questions, mm-hmm. you know, if they want to you know, send those to you, Raphael, or they yeah. can send them directly to me. I'm happy to answer any questions if it pops up, let's say later today or tomorrow. Oh yeah. Well, and, and the good thing about it too, is that, you know, when we release these, cause this, these are all recorded, uh, you know, I include all, you know, the information of our speakers in the description as well. So, you know, those guys, those individuals who have unique questions, I'm sure, you know, I'm going to provide your email and, you know, if you, if you're open to it, you know, I can provide your, your, your professional phone number and everything, and they can just reach out to you. So Jesse has a question. Is it possible to defer taxes from the sale of real estate into an insurance product instead of Roth? So so you mean like a infinite, like a like a is that more so like infinite banking is what you're referencing? Like like a okay. So I think you're referring to like a whole life policy. Whole life. Um, so he's saying sell real estate. Mm-hmm. investment property and take the proceeds and then fund a fund a whole life product or something is he okay. wanting to know oh to de- to defer that tax ah hmm. uh, that i'll have to check on i'll have mm-hmm. to check on that one because sure. uh, i might have to be creative um but that one I don't know if I've seen that, but I'm not, I don't want to say it's not possible. So mm-hmm. I will um, definitely get back to you, Jesse. Yeah. And she will, <laughs> she's going to do her <laughs> research for sure. So that's awesome. And, and, yeah. and Jesse, I know Jesse, he's local too. So uh, we'll try to see if we can you know, coordinate with you guys. Awesome. Any other questions? Myra, what, what are some of the best resources that people can learn about? I, I mean, I don't know if you guys have any personally or if you 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 have something that you like to refer to that maybe would be a benefit to the audience. Um, 
Well, we have a lot of great resources on our website you can mm. go to. Um, so the best thing to do is a reach out to a professional that knows what they're doing, you know, especially for these advanced strategies, you know, it, it's really hard to do it your, yourself and it does require a skilled professional. Um, so if you go to, you can Google my name, um, just type Myra Sheen, financial advisor, uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Um, um, I work at Align Wealth Management under an Ameriprise um, broker dealer. So that is probably the, there's so many resources out there um, available, but if there's anything, reach out to me if there's a specific question, um, but there's a lot of great resources on that website. Yeah. So Michaela, I hope I said that right. I definitely don't want to butcher your name. I'm sorry. Uh, that, that was a lot of information that I would need later. I'm getting into real estate investing. Great. That's exciting. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm happy to help guide you. And I know there's a lot of components. Um, so, you know, being a certified financial planner, I look at more than just the investment management aspect. So, you know, I work with my clients on, okay, retirement, budgeting, estate planning, taxes. So, risk management, we didn't even touch that today. Um, mm -hmm. That would probably be another podcast, but, you know, protecting you and your loved ones. Um, so I just, I help my clients holistically. So Michaela, if that's something you just want to um, call me, you know, I'm happy to help guide you through every step and just kind of get you moving in the right direction. Definitely. Yeah. And, and, and you had mentioned it earlier in the podcast, but it's always important to reiterate, you know, Myra's a, a CPA as well, which is, I mean, it's not super common that I've seen with a lot of financial planners is having that CPA background because you do look from the tax standpoint. And I'm somewhat tax illiterate, to be quite honest. <laughs> I rely yeah. pretty heavily on my CPA <laughs> for most things. So, um, yeah. Definitely, um, yeah. yeah, it's very, very important. And being on both sides, I see how important things can get missed. So one thing that I do is, all of my clients that I work with CPAs. So I have a third party consent. And so now our client has, and I like to include the attorneys too. So now when you have the attorney, the CPA, the financial advisor, all working for you, collaborating, you know, it, it really provides a strong allegiance to help make sure your goals are aligned because an attorney can, make this beautiful trust but if you don't incorporate the beneficiaries and follow the way the trust was intended it was for nothing and also for taxes if the financial advisor is doing all this financial you know transactions that are causing either a tax ramification or not you know that could be a surprise to the CPA. So you have to make sure all three of those professionals are communicating together on your behalf or have them included in your meeting. When you meet with the CPA, have your financial advisor sitting on that meeting. So that's what I do because that's true holistic planning. Definitely. Well, that's some great advice. So, well, we'll give it about a minute left for uh, questions. So if you guys have any, feel free to type away. I'll check the LinkedIn messages as well.
All right. Well, it looks like you've answered all the questions, Myra. You know, obviously we greatly appreciate your time. We know you're a busy professional and, and we're looking forward to, you know, hopefully people reaching out and inquiring about different things that that may be beneficial for them in their business. As far as, uh, you know, people being able to get in touch with you, what are one of the best ways to be able to do that? Um, well, a, the easiest thing is they can Google my name, Myra Ryan or Myra Sheen, it will be changing to Ryan soon. Um, view my websites because they'll have access to my email, phone number, fax number. So how, whatever is convenient for you all to, is convenient for me. So if you prefer, you know, I'm available for video chat, call, email. Um, but that's probably the easiest way is just to Google me and all of my information is on the website. Awesome. And, and, and we'll do what we'll do as well. You know, we'll include a link to her, her, her uh, page on line wealth management, but I'll also include within there, the email uh, phone number and that, that and their information in the description as well. So if you guys are listening to this in a podcast format, it will be in the description. If you guys are watching this on YouTube, go ahead and check out below and we'll be able to get you in touch. So Myra, again, thank you so much for your time. We do greatly appreciate it. Thank you all who are tuning in both on LinkedIn and here on Zoom and listen to this in a podcast format. We greatly appreciate all the support. We've had a significant uptick in our downloads. We're almost, we're, we're closing on 100,000 downloads, which is pretty crazy uh, to think that that's actually been the case. And we have people tuning in from all across the nation. So uh, do greatly appreciate it. Um, along with that, we do this every other week. So keep coming back, keep engaging with the group, and we'll talk to you guys soon. All right. Thank you. Bye. See you guys. Bye.